Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 24. This is a reading of God's word. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we're continuing our series through the first four chapters of Genesis, where we're basically looking at how the world began and what went wrong. And last week, we started looking at Genesis chapter 3, where we saw the entrance of sin into God's perfect world. And we talked about how sin is not so much about breaking the rules as it is about breaking a relationship. It's human beings putting themselves in the place of God, deciding for themselves what's good and what's not. And we talked about how doing this always leads to an emptiness, a shame, an insecurity, because we weren't meant to be God. And so we spend our entire lives trying to fill that void in our hearts, trying to compensate for that insecurity, trying to hide ourselves behind something to cover our shame. And last week where we left off was with this image of a God who doesn't just leave us as we are, but a God who graciously seeks us out and invites us to come back to Him. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 9, and we're going to look at three things in our text today. The confrontation, the curse, and the covering. Okay, so if you're taking notes, those are going to be the three points. The confrontation, the curse, and the covering. First, the confrontation. If you notice with me in verse 9, it says, The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Now remember, last week we said God asks this question not because he doesn't know where the man is, but because he's giving the man an opportunity to come clean. 
In other words, this confrontation isn't so much a condemnation as much as it is an invitation. And so as you're reading this, you're hoping that the man takes advantage of the grace being offered to him. And at first, it feels like that's where the story is headed. Take a look with me at verse 10 and 11. He, the man, answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Okay, so far so good. And then look at verse 11. And he, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And you're thinking, that's a pretty straightforward question, straightforward answer. All Adam needs to do at this point is own up to his actions. That's not what he does. He does what every husband in the history of the world has done at some point. He blames it on his wife. He says, yeah, I did it, but... You know that word, but, is the most dangerous word in the human language. You know how many fights could have been avoided if we just stopped before but? I'm so sorry. The fight is over. But if you hadn't acted that way, I wouldn't have said what I did. Fight isn't over. You know what? You're right. I was being insensitive. Fight is over. But if you knew me by now, you would know that that's just how I talk. Fight isn't over. Why do we do this? There's a voice in our heads that says, don't do it. Don't say that. You know what's going to happen. But we can't help it. And this is exactly what Adam does. He says, yeah, I did eat the fruit, but she made me do it. And when God goes to the woman, she doesn't do any better. You know what she says? She says, the serpent made me do it. You see, what sin does to all of humankind is that it makes us self-preserving, self-justifying creatures. Because if sin, as we talked about last week, is man substituting himself for God, then we no longer rely on God to give us significance and meaning. And so either we hide ourselves behind our accomplishments, our pedigree, our paycheck, or our popularity, or we push others down to make us feel better about ourselves. We become master blame shifters. We victimize ourselves. We tell everyone, it's because of my difficult spouse that my life is the way it is. It's because of my parents that I am the way that I am. It's because of my horrible boss that I can't do my job well. It's always someone else's fault and never our own. And we do this because every day we're confronted with the reality of our nakedness, our shame, and our emptiness. And we're unwilling to accept the truth of who we really are. Okay? So number one, you have the confrontation. And number two, the curse. Take a look at verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so what we see here is that sin always comes with consequences. There's a huge price that comes with putting yourself in the place of God, of living your life on your own terms, of living with the mindset that everyone and everything exists to serve you. And we see what that price is here. The first thing we see is that sin destroys our relationships with other people. 
If you notice, the curse is applied to the woman in two areas. One is a physical consequence and the other is an emotional one. First, you have severe pain and childbearing, which I'm not going to lie, having seen my wife give birth to both of our children, I'm so glad that was not part of the curse given to men. And the second thing we see is a disordered relationship with her husband. That phrase, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, can also be translated, your desire will be against your husband and he will rule over you. And the significance here is that the two relationships that are mentioned are arguably the most intimate relationships a person can have. A relationship with your child and a relationship with your spouse. And I think what this is pointing us to is the fact that because of sin, the very people in our lives who are supposed to protect us, love us, and look out for us, are often the people who hurt us the most, are often the people who cause us the most emotional and sometimes even physical pain. And it's taken this quarantine for us to realize just how true this is. I mean, we're seeing marriages be exposed. We're seeing families torn apart. We're seeing emotional scars from the past surface in ugly ways. And ultimately, if this is the way we treat the people closest to us, no wonder the world looks the way it does. We're seeing men demean and assault women. We're seeing children exploited and trafficked. We're seeing the elderly be attacked. We're seeing people killed because of the color of their skin. And why? And it all comes back to that mindset of self-preservation at all costs. Because if I truly believe that everyone exists to serve me, and your life only matters insofar as it secures my well-being, then the moment I feel threatened or the moment my livelihood is at stake is the moment everyone and anyone can be thrown under the bus, is the moment that I am willing to sacrifice your life for mine. And this is the mindset behind genocide. This is the mindset behind systemic racism and poverty. And all of it comes from the curse of sin. Okay, so number one, we see sin destroy our relationship with people. Number two, sin also destroys our relationship with creation. Verse 17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In other words, now mankind and nature will forever be at odds with one another. This thing that was given to mankind to be cultivated and to be enjoyed, it says, will now produce thorns and thistles. And we see this. We see earthquakes and hurricanes just decimate communities. We see famine and disease and death. I mean, COVID-19 is the perfect example of our severed relationship with creation. Okay, so we see sin destroy our relationship with people, with creation. And third, we see sin destroy our relationship with work. It says, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Remember in Genesis 1, we talked about how work was a part of God's original design, how it was given to man as a gift to glorify God and to keep his creation. Well, after the fall, work was no longer a means to glorify God, but rather a means to glorify self. And because of that, it is now the greatest source of our deepest anxieties, fears, and insecurities. Okay, so we see sin destroy our relationship with people, with creation, with work, and finally with God himself. Look at the way Genesis 3 closes. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. 
In other words, sin renders us absolutely incapable of getting back to the garden, of getting back to the presence of God, of getting back to that place where we are fully known and fully loved. And all of this is exactly why we will never feel completely at home in this world. Because ultimately what sin has done is that it has destroyed and poisoned every relationship we could ever know. Now I know Genesis 3 at this point can feel extremely dark and bleak and you're probably asking, well, is there any hope? And I would say there's hope all over Genesis 3. In fact, Genesis 3 is full of God's grace and his goodness and we even see it in the curses themselves. Let me explain. As painful and difficult as childbearing and child rearing may be, ask any parent and they will tell you that their children uh, are one of the greatest joys that they have in their lives. As difficult and painful as marriage may be, I can tell you, my wife and I are going to celebrate eight years of marriage this week, that marriage is still such a gift to me. As devastating as nature can be, we all know that it can also provide us with incredible beauty. You see, even when we look at the world and things are not the way they're supposed to be, there are arrows all over the place pointing us to a God who is good, who is faithful, and who is loving. Which brings us to the third and final point, the covering. Take a look at verse 21 with me. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now this feels really random because this happens right in the middle of God giving out his punishment. He's just finished handing out his curses and he's about to banish Adam and Eve from the garden forever. And yet there's this tender moment of grace when God stops, he takes animal skin, makes garments, and covers them. In the middle of what feels like a death sentence, God looks at Adam and Eve standing there, naked, ashamed, trying their best to cover themselves, and his heart breaks for them. You know, most scholars believe that this is a subtle foreshadowing to the sacrificial system found in the Old Testament, where animals would be used as burnt offerings to atone for the sins of Israel. And a lot of people think that the sacrificial system was created as punishment, but no, we see here that it was created as an act of mercy. In fact, we see in the Old Testament that on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, which was the temple's innermost sanctuary, and he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrificial bull on what was called the mercy seat. And Paul picks up on this language in Romans 3.25 when he calls Christ the true mercy seat. This is what he says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. In other words, this moment in the garden of God taking the skin of an animal and covering Adam and Eve was ultimately pointing to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, who would cover our sins forever. And God tells the serpent this is exactly what he's going to do. Take a look with me at verse 15. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And basically God is saying one day someone is going to come from the seed of this woman and that someone is going to crush your head and destroy sin and death once and for all. But in the process, it says you will strike his heel, meaning he's going to have to give his life to do this. But whereas the first Adam failed to protect his wife, Jesus, the greater Adam, would deal with sin once and for all, 
even if it meant giving his own life. So you see how the Bible from the very beginning ultimately points us to Jesus. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, on that cross, Christ didn't blame shift. He didn't victimize himself. He willingly took the blame for something he didn't do so that you and I would be reconciled to God and will be reconciled to one another. And so friends, let's rejoice in this truth today that though we fall so short of the mark, God graciously cleanses and covers us through the work of His Son. Let's pray. Gracious God, we confess today that we have tried to hide ourselves from You and from others. We have lived for our own glory and in doing so have hurt ourselves and the ones we love. But we're constantly humbled and amazed by your grace and mercy that extends to us even when we don't deserve it. We thank you for the work of your Son, who redeemed us from the curse with his blood and covers our shame once and for all. We give you all praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.